Hi there, and welcome to the Destination Melbourne podcast. I'm your host, or probably more correctly, your new host, Danielle Archer. And in a way, our podcast is kind of new too, because we are relaunching it this year in 2018. So welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Now, our previous podcast host, Dylan Stewart, did an awesome job of covering all sorts of topics of interest to Melbourne's tourism industry. And so we're going to be following suit with things like interviews, discussions and news all about the world's most livable city and the tourism industry that also makes it the most visitable. So I would love for you to stick around, subscribe and join me over the year and get in touch too if you've got ideas, if there's something that you'd like to hear about, if you've got feedback, I would love to hear it. You can contact me at danielle at destination.melbourne. No.com, no.au, just danielle at destination.melbourne. Okay, so for our first podcast of 2018, we're going to be talking about nature-based tourism. Obviously, it's a really important driver within our tourism economy and has huge appeal for all markets, for domestic, for international. And in Melbourne, and of course, indeed, Victoria, you can also see and get up close and personal with some pretty unique wildlife. So let me just start off by asking you this. Now, when I say nature-based tourism, what do you think of in Greater Melbourne? Or, or in fact, anywhere, anywhere in the world for that matter, what comes to mind when I say nature-based tourism? Did you say the zoo or maybe eco-tours or perhaps you thought of the penguin colonies at Phillip Island or maybe St Kilda? Well, if you did, you'd be right. Those are all important parts of our tourism landscape. However, I'm going to guess that one of the things you thought of probably wasn't volunteering, was it? Because I'll admit, for me, it wasn't the first thing that came to mind. That is, until I actually went and did some volunteering myself with Conservation Volunteers Australia, the Victorian branch, and that was to help conserve and protect the Eastern Bard Bandicoot, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I spoke to two guests, Travis Shikitano, who's a project worker with Conservation Volunteers, and also Joe Isavidis, who manages tourism for Conservation Volunteers. And they've got a uh, conservation program set up to restore habitat and population of the eastern barred bandicoot, which if you haven't seen one, go and Google it now. They are absolutely adorable little animals. And the program that they have includes a hands-on volunteering experience for visitors, whether they be locals or from interstate, intrastate or international. So let's kick things off with my recent chat with Travis Shikatana. We're here on location in the beautiful Woodlands area, which is in Greenvale, and I'm speaking with Travis Shikatano, who is the Project Officer with Conservation Volunteers Australia in Victoria, and what you're looking after, Travis, is a conservation program that's working on saving the eastern barred bandicoot, increasing numbers, and also looking after the habitat that we have here in this area. So I'll ask you, Travis, tell us how the program actually got started. Okay, so on site here at Woodlands, we started in 2010 
to rekindle the grasslands here in the park. There's less than half a percent of grasslands, native grasslands, left in Victoria. And this is the habitat of the eastern barred bandicoot, making it very rare and hard for the animal to survive. So, Travis, given that um, the program did start in 2010 and you're doing a lot of work with volunteers and increasing the numbers of the population, how would you describe what's been achieved in that time? Uh, Well, basically, we've been able to achieve a population of 500 bandicoots at its highest point, and we're currently sitting at about 250 on site because the bandicoots breed to conditions available. So the more grass, the more bandicoots, and the more food, the more bandicoots. I guess congratulations are in order too because this is a species that was so critically endangered and still is endangered. There's work to be done and there's there's a way to go. But I believe that you guys started with a collection of 42 animals. From that, only 19 managed to breed. And now you're up to 250. So that's that's really good news. And it's not just good news for the species and for conservation. It's also good news for tourism because there's a volunteer experience here that people can come and do and get involved in. Can you tell us about that? So we try and bring volunteers in in various forms, whether it's through nature tours or eco tours, but also just day-to-day hands-on work to give us a hand on weed control, fence maintenance and the daily duties. So without those people coming across, we just can't get the work done firstly, but also it's more important to spread that word. And without people seeing what we're doing and falling in love with the achievements and the rewards of saving a species from such a low number, it's hard to sell that story. But if somebody is part of it, they'll take that with them wherever they go in the world. And any time they see a sign saying, re-vegetation area, please keep out, they'll see it. They might not say anything about it, but they're part of it because they'll acknowledge that something's going on and it might spark them to think about what's being achieved here. And I think um, you really hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, people really um, have an emotional experience. They connect with what's going on here because at Destination Melbourne, myself and also some of my colleagues came along and we did the volunteer experience with you. We were assisting with um, trapping the animals, collecting data and releasing again, and also learning about the environment and the habitat. And they're just really adorable and cute as well. And I I think that um, is something that, that people really will enjoy and um, and get a lot out of too. So I think that's um, a, a great way of getting people interested and getting them involved. But it's not just us. It's not just people who are local Melburnians. I understand that the program is open to others as well. So they might be from interstate, intrastate or even overseas. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. The people that will find us are always those environmental buffs the young up-and-coming students, people that have had an interest in the environment for 50 years, that's not a problem. But spreading the general word to get to the bigger market to tell everybody what we're doing, which will hopefully change things around the world from a, a community point of view, is really important as well. So we have international travellers that come in through conservation volunteers and do maybe three or four weeks. They'll come out for a day or two, help us with those on-ground, hands-on works, and they'll take that message to another state and then eventually back home, which is fantastic. But we also have people from interstate travelling. This is a Victorian species, so you have to come here to be part of it. Uh, Also, just the general people that sort of see conservation as... Uh, a bit of a myth. They know what we're doing out here, 
but they want to just take it to the next level. So they come out for a very basic experience. They come out and see what we're doing, what we're achieving. But you can do things from a full day of just hands-on labour, giving us a hand and learn about everything. We'll always tell you what we're doing and the reason why, and you'll take that with you everywhere. So it's all about education as well. But the bonus is we do things like nature tours, which we try and connect people to these sort of more specific projects and give you a, a background way into science and, and research so you can come and work with people like myself or from zoos victoria or delp or other agencies and connect with them and, and learn about what they're doing so it's a more individual experience so you do the hands-on work learn about everything a few hours and then get to explore so it's sort of like a 50 50 experience enjoy a holiday but enjoy some work at the same time that sounds like a, a really unique and interesting approach because I think often when people consider nature-based tourism or think about nature-based tourism, which is very important for Melbourne and Victoria, they do tend to think of maybe attending a zoo or going to a wildlife park. Actually participating in conservation is not necessarily front of mind for people. So I think that this is quite possibly a perception that we need to change within conservation but also within the tourism industry so that we can get more people involved which will ultimately lead to more hands on the ground and more people assisting with um, the conservation of this species. Yeah, and it's a bit of a shame because places like Zoos Victoria do conservation work as well, but most people just see it as let's go and take the kids out and walk around and look at the animals. But they are doing all this work in the background as well. They breed our bandicoots for us from a genetic point of view for this recovery process. So there are ways to connect, but unfortunately, unless you look deeper, you don't find it. So working with people from a tourism point of view to help promote our products is is essential in, in, in gaining the community's trust. And I guess also just there are more opportunities out there to connect with nature. It doesn't have to be just a, a standard walk along a track or visit a zoo. There are many, many other ways to get involved. And what sort of feedback have you had, especially from visitors who are from overseas and wouldn't really get to experience our unique environment and unique wildlife? Well, look, I've seen millions of kangaroos. That might be an exaggeration. <laughs> but you sort of get used to what you deal with at the end of the day. But when you see somebody's face light up because they've seen a kangaroo out in the wild, it is an amazing and joyful experience and it almost inspires you. One of the things that I love seeing on people's faces is the space. Woodlands Historic Park is unique. It's only 900 hectares, but it's protected as national park status because it represents what Melbourne used to be like before European settlement. So it's hugely important. We're only 19 kilometres from Melbourne. But, you know, people come here, even though it's a small location in the big scheme of things, you see international tourists get out of our little minibus and just look. Look at the size of it. They're used to shoebox living apartments. You know, their farms are only two hectares. Our farms are 20,000 hectares with one owner. And you tell that to people and they just, they stop. And for five minutes, you leave them be and they just appreciate looking around and feeling open and exposed just the sheer size of what we can offer to me that's that's almost a gold moment it just it's it almost brings something out of them to see so much space and how it can be used and to to show that this is being used for recovery of a species also adds that extra you know special element 
And as you say, this literally is right on Melbourne's doorstep. I don't know if you can hear in the background being picked up through our audio recording, but there's actually a lot of aircraft noise going on because we're literally right next door to Melbourne Airport. We're so close to the suburbs and to the city. I live in Mooney Ponds and it took me maybe 20, 25 minutes to, to drive here. So for people who are actually uh, in Melbourne and surrounds, it's not that far to to, to, to get here? No, definitely, um, depending on Melbourne traffic, of course. It's about a 25-minute drive out of the city, up the freeway, past the airport, and literally we're on the right-hand side. They are our direct neighbour. So come here, you know, use the park, take your kids for a bike ride, go for a run, go for a walk, but to also have, you know, a critically endangered species recovering from the brink of extinction on the doorstep of Melbourne is something that 99% of the public won't know about it. And unfortunately, in our industry, we do struggle to promote what we're doing. We spend our money on practical activities. Uh, we don't generally market what, what we should be doing because, unfortunately, we try and do all the on-ground works. So that's why engaging the community and bringing out people from as many backgrounds as possible spreads that word naturally for us. Well, let's do some word spreading now. What is your message to the tourism industry, given that there are a lot of people in the industry who are customer-facing, whether it's concierges who are in a position to recommend experiences and tours, or whether it's staff in hotels or working more broadly in the visitor industry and interfacing with visitors day-to-day through visitor centres, for example? What would you like to say to them? Well, look, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of travelling right across Australia, but a fair bit right across the world. And and Paris isn't the Eiffel Tower. Melbourne isn't just the MCG or the Arts Centre. There are other things that you can do. And, and to give an all-round experience, you need to promote everything that's going on. Like I said, this is what Melbourne used to look like before European settlement, and it's on your doorstep. Come out and see a thousand-year-old river red gum, you know, with a scar cut into it from our Indigenous background. It's a real eye-opener. I think it just gives that all-rounded overall experience, and people will enjoy that, and they'll take it back, and they'll think of it holistically, not just of the major tourism attractions. There's more to show, and the more that people learn about things, and, and like I said, they come here, they see what we're doing, it's fantastic, but they'll take that home. So the message is valuable, no matter where you're from, whether it's interstate or international, take it back with you and do something with it. And you do actually have a corporate program. So just like Destination Melbourne with myself and colleagues, we came here and saw it for ourselves, got a really great hands-on experience and, and got involved. So other people who are within the tourism industry can also come and get a taste of that and see what it's all about. Oh, definitely. It's one of the big things that we can offer to people is come out and have a taste test almost. And that's sort of what we're trying to get to brief experiences full of knowledge like a big punch of it but there's something out about being outdoors smelling it seeing it hearing the the grass crackle under your feet getting a bit of hot weather then getting a rainstorm because it's melbourne and it it's it just puts so many more words onto your experience all of a sudden a thousand words becomes a hundred thousand words so getting out there and living it makes all the difference in the world 
That was Travis Shigatano from Conservation Volunteers. You're listening to the Destination Melbourne podcast, and we're going to move on to our next interview now. We'll hear from Joe Isavertis, who is a tourism manager also with Conservation Volunteers. Here's Joe. Can you tell us a bit about the visitors that come to Victoria and Melbourne, what they're looking for in a nature-based tourism or volunteerism experience, and the feedback that you've had from those visitors? Yes, certainly. So we get people from all walks of life. So we have families that come out from um, different countries that want an ecotourism experience is what they'll call it, but they want to actually give back as part of that travel experience through to youth groups and international travellers and backpackers that are here for longer extended periods of time and are really about that volunteering experience. But as an overarching message that we get from people is there's a big growth in consumer and travellers that actually want to give back. They want meaningful, rewarding, inspirational experiences. They want to know that they can make a difference. They can do something that's different, get into places that you can't ordinarily get to see or experience, meet locals and understand and value and um, get an experience that's a lot, what I would call a lot deeper. Uh, And that is growing and most people will share our common values and common stories about why they've come on one of our trips from Australia. But underarching or overarching, every single visitor is that desire to do something and make a difference. I think you've described a very specific market when you talk about that visitor who really wants to give back, they want to be involved, they want an enriching experience. And on the other side, you get the visitor who thinks about nature-based tourism and thinks about animals and wildlife as something to view rather than something to be involved in where they are helping and they're contributing. So how do we change that perception and, and move it towards the need and the desire to be involved and to volunteer? Not to say there's anything wrong with, with wanting to view. That's a very valuable and important place for that sort of tourism as well. But how do we grow that market of consumers who are really interested in in giving back? Yeah, so firstly, we might actually find the market's going to make us grow. So back in 2008, there was an independent study done in Britain, and it actually showed that there are about 1.6 million people travelling to volunteer each year. So fast forward that to 2015, this has increased at 10 million. And some predictions are actually showing that by the end of this decade, there could be 20 million people wanting to travel with a purpose. So we might actually find that the consumers actually drive the demand and the change within the industry. Then secondly, if we actually look at the experience, underlying anything, whether you're volunteering or whether you're here for a visitor tourism general experience, it all starts with offering a great and enriching nature-based experience. That's at the forefront of it. So that's what we have to get right, and then it's how we actually integrate our conservation messages and stories and outcomes into that experience. And then thirdly, there's a growth in what we call philanthropic travel. So it's actually now where people are understanding and wanting to 
give back as part of their experience. So there's part of their travel that is donated to a community or conservation-based outcome, and that's growing more of a mainstream outcome. But to have that to be successful and meaningful, it needs to have that integrity behind it. So people actually then want to know and see and connect to where their money's gone and know that they've made a difference as part of the tour. Then thirdly, I would actually say, or lastly, it's about as an industry collective, so through Visit Victoria and as a tourism industry, actually getting behind our nature-based and wildlife products and promoting that and championing that and championing our conservation ethics and efforts and sharing that story broadly to have us be leaders as a state of protecting our nature and wildlife. So what can tourism businesses do in and around Melbourne and Greater Melbourne to either tap into that market, to tap into what you're doing and to be part of that, um, that I guess, group that you describe as, as leading the way and really um, driving forward with nature-based tourism and these valuable volunteering experiences? Yeah, so there's some simple things that operators can do. So uh, anything from partnering with like-minded organisations like Conservation Volunteers Australia or other uh, conservation-based organisations or uh, research-based um, activities that are happening. So you know we have partnerships with tour operators where they actually bring tours to our sites or to come and stay at one of our lodges and conservation reserve and by the very nature of that they're supporting our conservation outcomes and we do tours and uh, financial donations to support the efforts that we're doing. We have um, broader partnerships where you can make donations to support conservation causes and programs across Australia. Uh, coming out and joining and volunteering for a day as your staff or coming out on a corporate challenge, uh, which we've had tourism operators do. And I guess reflecting on what it is. So nature is, it's the lifeblood of our tourism industry. It's a key driver for visitation to our state and to Australia. And it's a key economic driver. Yet we have some of the worst species extinctions globally. And we have the second highest land clearing rate behind Brazil. So a lot of people don't understand that nature is the source of our livelihood and our businesses, and yet it's so important to protect it. And we can make a difference as individuals and also as individual operators, but I keep reflecting on what would it be like if we got together as a collective, as a Victorian or Melbourne collective? I mean, imagine as small change out of someone's pocket, every visitor that came through Melbourne, if they donated a dollar, could you imagine what we could do with that? Because the financial support and donations and contributions to conservation is, is just essential. And it's essential for our business survival and it's essential for us as humans and our survival. Very motivating and inspiring words, Jo. I'm sure that a lot of people are going to want to contact you. How can they do that? Yeah, certainly. So you can check out our website, conservationvolunteers.com.au. You can give us a call, 0404-840-209. Shoot us an email, info at naturewise, that's naturewise, or one word, .com.au. 
That was Joe Isaveras, and before that we heard from Travis Shigatano, both from Conservation Volunteers, and I thank both of my guests for their time on what has been the first Destination Melbourne podcast for 2018, and thank you too for your time. Thanks very much for joining me. It would be fantastic if you would get in touch and let me know what your ideas are, who you'd like to hear from, and also throw in some feedback. Let us know what you like about the podcast. You can contact me at danielle at destination.melbourne. That's danielle at destination.melbourne. We'll be back with the next episode of the Destination Melbourne podcast for 2018. So do subscribe, stay in touch, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye now.